Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Many years ago now, back in the early uh, part of the 2010 decade, the sisters, the Dominican sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, were on Oprah, and lots of people began to know them as Oprah's sisters. She did a little life... Uh, a day in the life of their community. And so today, I'm very delighted to be speaking with the vocation directress with their religious community, the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist's very own Sister Joseph Andrew. So welcome to How They Love Mary, Sister. Thank you so much, Father. Pleased Maybe, to be on here. You know, I, I mentioned the Oprah. What was it like for all of you to be on Oprah? I remember I was in the seminary at the time, and we actually had like a seminary watching party to oh my uh, gosh. view the Oprah sisters. Uh, Father, it, it was um, it was an experience. <laughs> and actually, Father, it ended up being a great experience. It began by being an experience of, of faith because she invited us and we didn't know at that point in time how she would take it etc and um you know you just kind of have to be a little prudent in some of these things but i can remember when mother assumpta had asked me what do you think and i said you know if if christ can walk on water for the likes of us i think we can go on oprah for him so in any case that kind of i think boosted the um, at least the thinking that, yeah, we're just going to trust him. And it ended up, they came here for like two solid days, her, her work crew. She didn't get to come, but she continues to say, I'm coming. Because Lisa Ling, who worked with her at that point in time, spent the night in one of the guest rooms. And so just the whole thing really, I think, penetrated on a much deeper level than they were expecting and we didn't know exactly where it was going to go, but just as they came here, they just kind of fell into, I think, a very special grace and were open to it. And they did a lot of talking without the filming, which was very important, just asking questions about their own lives, about their faith lives, about why we do things. And some of it was obviously filmed and other parts were not. And so I think by the end, it ended up with some pretty strong conversions. Um and went back to Oprah, who fell in love with it immediately and said, those sisters are coming. They're going to come here. So we did. And we did the very first, um, um, you know, she took clips from the mother house as well as the, uh, the live. Then about six months later, she's calling us back again and saying, you know, you were so good for my business that you have to come on again. And so we had said, no, one time was enough. And she goes, no, you will come on again. And she went on and on and on. And I'm going to send this, that and the other. And so she flew us up there, put us up the whole bit. And we came on there again. And she had also flown her people here for to take the professions of vows. So the first vows and the final vows in particular. And she said, these are the weddings of the sisters. So she really got the theology correct and, and the way that she would understand it and people would understand it. So it was a great bridge between the normalcy of our life, if this is your vocation, versus what the world might kind of consider. So I think it became, um, I think, her third to the top of her televised programs in her 25 years, at least for that season. It certainly did. And she said, and everybody else has always been, you know, like a, TV star, you all came out of nowhere, but you got the most um, 
Yeah, and so we ended up pulling vocations through that, and uh, a lot happened. A lot of good happened, I think, for the church first of all, and also for people outside the church, and certainly for the community through that. So it was an incredible experience, Father. I could talk for about five hours because I was in charge of Lisa Ling at the Mother House, and that was a challenge in itself. <laughs> sure. Now, your religious order is one that is very unique. And so first of all, for people that might be unfamiliar, you're a habited religious order. So we know That's some right. sisters don't wear habits, but you're dressed all in white and, and you have a veil on and everything like that. And, and so another problem you have is we know a lot of religious communities are experiencing a dearth of vocation. Some religious communities are shutting their doors. They're saying, you know, after these sisters go, well, that's going to be the end of our community. But your religious order has so many vocations that you now have built other convents and other places uh, throughout the United States and are serving other churches from beyond your mother house in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I guess, can you just tell us the story of your religious order and how you came to be and how you got to where you're at today? Sure, Father. It all started back in 1996, basically. And we were, um, well, in particular, Mother Assumption, I were really thinking, does God want another community? Because the, the Dominican community we belonged to was doing well. And I had been vocation director there and she'd been Mother General there for 12 years. And so... Um, then it kind of began to grow. And in 1997, well, 1996, we went to New York under Cardinal O'Connor. So you have to have um, a bishop who assists you with this. Well, he gave us his best canon lawyer. He was the right arm of St. John Paul the Great. So he was running back and forth to Rome all the time. And we were working like Trojans when we went up to um, New York. And so the church gives you up to three years for this idea. And if it doesn't take place and become a reality, then you're supposed to go back to your, your mother house, your community, and, and believe this wasn't God's plan. So, Father, unbelievably, because of our, our hard work and, and our wonderful uh, saintly Cardinal O'Connor and our wonderful canon lawyer, et cetera, anyway, we were able to send everything to Rome on December 4th. I remember because I was the secretary. So I took it all to the post office to go to the Vatican on December 4th of that very year, 1996. And I remember the priest friends in New York were saying, don't do that because do you know how much mail that they get at Christmas? And that's crazy. It'll get lost and all this stuff. And they said, why did you do that? I said, because we, we got it finished. So we just did it. So in any case, John Paul II signed off that we were a new religious community on, on January 4th, 1997. And so it took him one month to find that wherever it was and, and to do that. And so um, in less than nine months, we were a new community. And on February 9th, 1997, in Cardinal O'Connor's private chapel there at St. Patrick's in New York, we made our vows um, and became a new community. And there were the four of us. So as time went on, or actually during that, that preparation time, Tom Monahan, who uh, was a friend of Mother Assumpta, Tom Monahan of Domino's Pizza, anyway, here in Ann Arbor, um, had heard about this. And so he flew up and he started saying, is there a way that you would come to the Lansing Diocese and I'll help you all out? So this went on for a while. We really weren't interested. And then Colonel O'Connor said, just pray for it. Make a novena. Pray for it. Don't talk to each other. And then I'm going to call you back to Dunwoody, the seminary there in New York. 
and hear what your responses are one by one. So we did exactly what he said. And um, every one of us surprised each other by saying, I don't know why, but I think it's Ann Arbor. I think it's Michigan. We didn't know anybody here. We didn't know what we were up to. And we loved New York and really wanted to kind of stay there. But it was like the Holy Spirit was saying this. And the Cardinal, I remember at the end saying, uh, we said, but you know more than we do. We'll do what you say. What do you think? And he said, I think it's Ann Arbor, Michigan, too. And we all just kind of burst into tears. But by April 4th, we were in the car coming to um, Lansing, where we put down roots, began to build our mother house. And that very first year, that August, we received our first postulants. And it's just kept on going. So now we're 24 years old. And um, we have about 150 sisters. And the average age is like 32, 33. We now teach which means a lot of education for the sisters because they're allowed to enter after high school if they're mature enough, et cetera, if everything. Uh, so we get them from different ages. But in any case, we now teach in nine different states, and that's 21 cities. And I happen to have these stats right here, Father. So two different countries because we're here and we're also in Rome. So we work at the Angelicum in Rome, in Rome under the Master General. And then we also work at the NAC um, and also at the Casa Maria in Rome. And then we study at the Angelicum. So we teach in 16 elementary schools, um, 14 high schools, two colleges, and one seminary. So every year, God has blessed us with so many wonderful vocations and such a wide variety and really intelligent, go-getting young women who really desire to give everything that they are to God. So in an age, as you mentioned, where um, many other communities sadly are beginning to close the door or already have, we are getting young, vibrant women from all um, different backgrounds and college experiences or not even college experiences or workforce experiences. Again, I'd say the average age of the young woman that enters us is probably about 21, 22 but they can enter until about 32. And um, we have airplane pilots, we have nurses, we have doctors, we have electrical engineers, we have PhDs, we have um, high school graduates. That's a wide range of sisters that you have. And of course, you know, you talk about all the different backgrounds that some of them came from. And now to enter the religious life, you know, they go through this process of discernment and then they join the order. You mentioned a few of the words already, postulancy, first vows, yeah. final vows. What's the steps that a woman takes in becoming a religious sister? Okay, fine. So first of all, obviously they make contact with the community and then I jump on it. So last night I just had a Zoom with about 15 young women who are very, very serious and they've been mostly through the year working with me. So we'll see how many are actually able to enter and ready to enter this particular August. But that's kind of like getting down to, to the group that will, although I've probably had over 500 inquiries this year. Again, with it being COVID, more people are thinking, but with women, you have to have that bond and we never could have a personal retreat, which normally uh, we have three and they'll, they'll, kind of, they'll bring in over 500 young women. So they, it had to be Zoom, and that's, that makes a difference with the women. However, um, after all the application, which is quite extensive, it's, it's not easy, which is why 
the vast majority will, will drop out or they've um, hit what I call a, a red light and it's just obvious the timing isn't correct or something's not there and we explore that more fully. Or they realize they have a married vocation, which is wonderful. And we pray for their future St. Joseph's, whoever that might be. So in any case, then they enter and they become a postulant for a year and they wear a postulant outfit, which is a, um, a white blouse and then a, a dark blue skirt and a dark blue vest and the Dominican shield as a medal. And so they start their classes and they go through and they live here at the mother house, the normal life. So they're seeing what's going on. They're, they're getting to know really what this life means. At the end of that year, they receive the habit and their new religious names. And so that's always very exciting because all postulant year, they're thinking of what name they really do believe God wants them to have and he's going to give them. And and so uh, they receive the habit. And then there's two and the white veil instead of the black veil is to show that they're novices and they're not under vows. So there's two of those years. One is canonical, which is the very strict year in which they stay here and they study the vows extensively. And they also study a lot of scripture and uh, Mariology and church teachings in the Vatican II um, documents and current things going on in the church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, certainly, as Dominicans, thoroughly, the scripture I already mentioned, I think. So a lot of studies. Then uh, begins their third year, which is their um, apostolic novice year, and they can go out with me to see how things are on boots on the ground, so to speak, out in the apostolate, you know. Uh, various travels for vocation talks for universities, et cetera, parishes, whatever. Then at that end of those three years, they make their first vows and that's poverty, chastity, and obedience for two years at the end of those two years. And at that point, they continue their education. So they might uh, complete their first degree, which is always going to be an education if they enter without a degree or they go back to get that degree, et cetera. Or if they have that, they go out teaching. At the end of those two years, they make vows again for three years. So they renew those vows for three years. And then at the end of that, uh, which is eight years in the community, they make their final vows. So that's a long time for a young woman to really discern, is this God's will? And to be working directly with the superior who does this with all of them. So the postulant directress the first year, the novice mistress the next two years, and then the director of temporary professed. So there's a lot that there's a lot that goes on so um, before final profession then they're sent out to teach wherever they may be and every year we pick up new schools because every year we have a number coming out of the Navish, coming out of their education degrees that can be sent out to the apostolate so um, yeah we just keep growing and growing and growing and every year God um, faithfully sends us new bunch of bright young women to enter it's exciting. You would think that by the time they get done with that process of discernment, that those years of formation, that surely they know that this is truly what God is calling them to do. And You hope so. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I guess, what's the day in your life look like as a sister? So what time do you rise for prayer? What do you do oh, sure. all day long? When do, when okay. do you retire for the evening? Okay. One thing, Father, when we founded our new community and we were considering what name, um, 
And we settled pretty quickly on Dominican Sisters of Mary because St. Dominic wanted us to be called Sisters of Mary. He didn't want Dominic or Dominican in there, and he wanted his men to be called Friars of Mary. So we went back to Dominican Sisters of Mary and then Mother of the Eucharist because that encompasses all the things that our community, first of all, we're Dominican, and that's monastic, 800-plus-year-old history of saints and sinners, I'm sure, and a tremendous spirituality in the church, and really a very active life of the mind, which we really deeply appreciate, because the motto of the order is truth. So um, we get up every morning at 5, and by 5.30, we begin with the, one of the reasons that we took Mother of the Eucharist, with the Eucharistic Adoration Hour. So we begin every day with Eucharistic adoration for an hour. And in that is included certainly meditation and morning prayer. At the end of that, we go straight into mass. And then at the end of mass, we have about a 10, maybe 12 minute quick breakfast because the sisters have to head out either to the colleges to get their degrees, continue their, their education, or head out to the schools to teach. So, um, and then the novitiate sisters stay home and then they do the dishes and they do their house duties and then they get into their classes as the day goes on too. So it's a very full day at noon, anybody that's at home comes together for daytime prayer and then followed by lunch and recreation. Um, and recreation is usually outside at noon because the sisters need their exercise. We're real big on you've got to be mind, body, and soul. And so the body has to have exercise and it has to do what it needs to to stay healthy. So that's huge, too. Um, and also planning for the future, you know, where we'll have uh, healthier sisters in the long run, which, are, which is extremely important. So it's all together. But that's very Dominican incarnational. Any case, then... Everybody comes home from school and uh, we have um, spiritual reading at about 4.30 until about 5. Then there's Vespers and Vespers is followed by Compline and then by our monastic dinner. And so if the day has been a, a silent day, which most of our days are, we, we have reading at the table. So St. Dominic would say you have to fill the mind just as you're filling the body with nourishment. And so we read various lives of the saints. Right now we're reading Cardinal Pell's um, prison journal, the very first one. Um, we're also reading the life of Father Patrick Payton at lunch, which is all for her. Um, and so we, we keep them, the mind nourished very, very specially. And what's fun is to have these intellectual conversations about what do you think is going to happen next? And especially if it's a martyr, when do you think he's going to be martyred or, you know, what's going to happen? It's, um, or to discuss things going on in the church because the sisters have to stay up to date. Again, I always say, if you put this habit on, people are going to expect you to know something and you've got an obligation to do so and to be able to express it to a world that doesn't know and is questioning everything and is looking for solidity. And so we have to present that. And again, we say that this is the spiritual motherhood that, that our community has towards the church. Um, yeah, so that spousal receptivity from God in our vows and then that spiritual motherhood is the overflow. So then after that, we have an hour of recreation in the evening, which many times is um, together. Well, we're all to, always together. We might be playing a card game. We just saw The Chosen, the last segment of The Chosen recently, um, or, or different things. And again, sometimes it might be ice skating out on the back pond, um, you know, in the middle of winter or sledding or whatever. Um, it's always good. And it's always family time to spend time with family. 
After that, we go into spiritual reading again at 7.30 to about a quarter to eight. And then at eight, we have Compline, which is beautiful because it's our closing um, of the day. So we begin with the Eucharist and we end it really with Mother Mary. We form a procession and the novices, the, we go by the youngest sisters first and we process up with lighted candles to the Blessed Mother's altar singing the Save Regina, which is the, the Dominican form of the, of the Save Regina, again, 800 plus years old. And then we end there at Mary and then um, lights have to be added 10, unless you really have something going on or you get special permission to 11, but then that's it because that bell's ringing at five and you don't know where you are or what's going on and you jump up and get moving again. It's that's a full, a full day. day. It's a full day for sure. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's great. We get a lot done. Thank goodness for the monastic bell, which says stop now and go move to the following. Otherwise, we would dilly-dally, which uh, we don't have time to do much. <laughs> sure. Uh, when it comes to discerning one's vocation, but also too that word discernment, I think, you know, there are people out there that have to discern different choices that they make in life, where if they're a married person, they have to discern what's the next path for me, for my exactly. family, etc. So, how how do you view Mary as participating in that role of discernment? How do I view Mary as yeah, participating? So, so how can we look to the Blessed Mother to help us as we discern whether it's our calling or something else in our life? She is essential. You know, I I absolutely love and knew who was the saint when he was still living, even though you can't canonize somebody until they're dead. But in any case, John Paul II. So Saint John Paul the Great. Um, when he gave us theology of the body, he got it. He got the fact that all of us need each other and we need it more uh, intensely and spiritually than we ever even thought about before. And so he put it in such beautiful terminology. And I just really always encourage everyone to read theology of the body. I don't say how you could be a priest or a religious and get that spousal, your receptivity to the church and mind to Christ himself etc. Um, if we don't really understand the theology of the body in the sense of, of the marital commitment to one another, making the completion. So all that to basically say, Mary is essential. She's in, essential to you as a priest, because every priest needs a woman in his life, and it better be Mother Mary. And every sister needs to be like another Mary in the world today. So my prayer is always, Mary, grant that when others look at me, they may see you. And I see your icons up there, Father, and you've got Mary all over the place. And I just absolutely love it. That's a sign of a good priest. If a priest doesn't get Mary, then I, I'm very concerned. And um, his fruitfulness is really going to suffer if he's going to have fruitfulness. In any case, and for married people, I always think it's the mother in so many ways that makes the spirit of the home. Um, the father has to be the strength, the safeguard. We need St. Joseph to defend. And I'm huge on St. Joseph because I know as a woman, I need St. Joseph. So I've even got his name because I just absolutely love him. But I also understand it's the woman's role to come in sometimes after the man has completed his cognitive thinking and the woman comes in and she gives the heart and she gives the emotion. Hansa Urs von Balthasar talks about this a great deal. And it's beautiful to say that she's the heart of the church, so to speak. And so we all need mom. We all need that, that maternal love and care for each of us. And in discernment, 
I wouldn't want to discern apart from her because she's spouse of the Holy Spirit. And if I really want the Holy Spirit to help me discern, and I'm not discerning if I don't, I'm just trying to take my guesses. So if I really want the Holy Spirit to help me through my discernment, which is God, what is your will? Then I'm going to get Mother Mary to prompt the Holy Spirit to let me know. To me, it's like spiritual logic. It just flows. It just, you just know. And so anyone who leaves Mary out of the equation, and again, talking to thousands, thousands, thousands of young people through my lifetime, many will say, I don't have that devotion to Mary. And I will say, well, then get it. You talk to her, you pray to her, you hold those rosary beads, you wear a miraculous medal or a scapular, you make yourself a child of Mary and she will come back with a vengeance claiming you as her own because that's all she wants. So it's really simple. It's just we have to open our wills to it. And then here comes the mother to embrace us. Wow, that's very beautiful. Your order is called the Dominican Sisters of Mary, the mother of the Eucharist. What's Mary's connection to the Eucharist? Because inside Mary, unlike inside any of us, when we receive Christ in the Eucharist, which we do, and how many hours he is, is he actually body, blood, soul, and divinity present inside of us? That's debatable because of biology, etc. But we know spiritually he's there because of grace. But Mary carried him. She's the first to say yes and to give him by her yes, the miracle of the incarnate body blood of the the son of God, the second person of the blessed Trinity. So again, in Mary's yes, her motherhood embraced what would become the Eucharist for me and for you. And she carried him for nine months in fleshing him and giving him the body by which he would then offer back to the Father for the redemption of all of us. So again, it's an incredible circle. And Maximilian Colby has very beautiful teaching on Mary as the Immaculate Conception and that the Holy Spirit inside her is the Immaculate Conception. Can't go into all that right now, but it's just very deep on if you insert, so to speak, into the Trinity or put in in the heartbeat of it, so to speak, this woman, Mary, immaculately conceived, saying yes to all the above, you get the place where we jump in and become so Christ-like, you know, that we are called to become like Christ. And, and that that's our goal. And that's God's reason for creating us and knowing he would from all eternity and putting us in, in the time we're in. Um, and so, again, we need that mother to, to be able to do that with us and to be able to explain that. And so mother of the Eucharist, every time I receive the Eucharist, I pray that I can receive him in a manner more and more like mother Mary received him. And I also love this when I was blessed to be able to be in the cynical of the um, last supper in Jerusalem. And it just struck me over and over again. I know who baked the bread. It was Mary. Sure. So she did that because she had done it before and, and another analogy, she had given him that body. And so now he gave that body and blood back to us. Yeah. Wow. That's a beautiful insight. I guess I never thought of Mary baking the bread for the last supper. I love it. And listeners, uh-huh. listeners will know that I have a great fondness for a Jesuit priest named Father Daniel Lord. He was one of the most popular oh, Jesuits. I know him. Yeah, the from, Sacred Hearts. Yeah, from yeah, so from St. Louis he was and 
He uh, he worked with the Queen's Work Apostolate. He wrote the Code of Ethics for Hollywood. And uh, he I, I randomly found his book, Christ in Me, Meditations After Holy Communion, uh, when I was researching for a paper I was giving at a conference. I wanted to write on Mary and the Eucharist, and I thought I would write on the prayers after Holy Communion that were found uh-huh. in hand missiles. And I was at this academic library looking at the missiles, finding the prayers, copying, taking photos whatever. And then I happened upon Father Lord's book and I said, oh, well, Mary had Christ in her. Maybe this is a book about Mary. So I opened it up and it wasn't exclusively about Mary, but he had 12 meditations on Mary and the Eucharist. So her receiving Holy Communion, receiving communion and imitation of her in honor of her and, and things like that. And so finding that book led me to other writings of Father Lord. And so he wrote a book called The Song of the Rosary. Uh, it's a very poetic Ooh, book. I'm going to get it, Father. He talks, I, I could probably send you a copy. I have two copies. Okay. So, um, okay. so in The Song of the Rosary, he's reflecting and he says that, well, when did Mary receive her first Holy Communion, or he doesn't necessarily ask that question, but he writes about it. He says, uh-huh. well, she took the cup as she was cleaning up from the Last Supper as she, he, he called her, you know, the church's first sacristan. And so uh-huh. there, there she was cleaning up the, the Last Supper room, and maybe there was a drop of his precious blood, and she brought it to his uh-huh. lips and received for the very first time her Holy Communion. So that's something I've thought about, Mary receiving Holy Communion, but even to go a step further to what you suggested, I love that. Mm-hmm. Father, can I add one thing? This too came to me in prayers about St. Joseph, who I dearly love. Of course, he's got complementarity in many ways to, to my spirituality, but in any case, so I think, when did he receive his first communion? And did he? Because he wasn't there at the Last Supper, et cetera. So I imagine Christ growing up in the carpenter's shop, and one day he bangs his finger or he gets a splinter or whatever, and it starts bleeding, and Joseph runs over, as any father would do, and puts his little finger in his mouth and says, it will be better, and receives his first communion. Oh, my word. Wow, that's powerful. I love it. Wow. I love St. Joseph, too. Well, that's great. Well, you don't know this. I was going to tell you afterwards, but I have another podcast called Cup of St. Joe that I'm doing just for the year of St. Joseph. So we're going to have to do an episode maybe right around St. Dominic's feast day or something and uh, talk about you and devotion to St. Joseph because you mentioned him two or three times already. I love it. (laughs) So maybe one more question, maybe two. Uh, I know that, well, Perhaps, you know, maybe people would like to know how you came to discern religious life. You've been a religious sister now for many years. Uh So what was that like for you in those initial days, discerning a vocation and entering religious life? What, What brought you there? You know, Father, I um, I always point to other people's vocation stories before my own because I think God spoiled me from conception on. I came from a super beautiful Catholic family. My mom's a convert from Southern Baptist, which in itself is a major miracle, but my 100% Polish father would have it no other way if they were to get married. And so she did it. And three months later, she, uh, after taking uh, instructions in their very first date, she was baptized and my father insisted she also go to confession so she'd know what that was all about and she was confirmed and then two days later they got married and she received her first holy communion at their wedding and they wanted a big family and they were blessed to be able to have three of us uh lost the first one but um three others and uh we 
the whole thing was you're going to a Catholic school. And I mean, the Catholic faith was non-negotiable. We actually prayed the family rosary every night growing up, no matter how we kids tried to get out of it. It didn't work. Um, and you just grew up in such a Catholic environment. And I always remember thinking my friends are not the same as I am. But between the two, I'll choose my family and what I'm being given and just really appreciating it. And I just have to really say um, I was a character in school. I was always in trouble. Um, how I didn't get kicked out, I do not know. But through it all, I admired the sisters and I loved the sisters. And I thought I'm going to be one of those. Getting to high school, obviously, you start noticing the, the boys, and I certainly did. And I had more guy friends than I ever did girlfriends because they balanced me, and we had a lot of fun together. But I never thought of them as one of these. I remember one day in senior religion, the priest saying, um, who was teaching us in Catholic school, um, really consider all the vocations. And if you haven't done that, you really shouldn't be graduating. You need to really consider, and he was pretty strong, and he was newly ordained, and I remember thinking, well, I was probably the only one that took it seriously. I thought, well, I haven't thought that much about marriage because I've just always known I have a religious vocation. So I'll think about marriage. Who would I marry? So then I start looking around different guys. And I think, well, that one, because I'm sitting next to him on purpose. He's my best friend. He's, you know, on and on. And I could go with his accolades, you know. Um, and we just hit it off. And he was very intelligent. And I just loved his mind. And we would talk. And I, anyway. But then I thought, well, he's not even inviting me to prom. Forget it, buddy. You've just lost. Too bad for you. You're just, you're, you're, you're missing some of the basics here. So forget you. And then this other guy started acting silly. And I thought, I want a happy guy. Look at him. He's always the, the class clown. And then he did something really stupid. And I thought, that's just beyond the beyond. Forget you. I just, I couldn't deal with this all the time. Then this guy behind me poked me. And he said, can we study chemistry after school today? And I go, oh, that one. He needs kind of a mom's heart. I've got a big motherly heart. Oh, sure. That would be the one. I thought, well, I don't want to marry a son. This is ridiculous. I thought, I just remember looking up and saying, God, it's you all along. Now, if I could marry 12 of them and take turns, maybe I'd think about that. But as it is, only one, forget it. My heart's too big for that. I'm just going to ury it. And I just kind of always knew that. And I knew I wanted to be at the Dominicans. They taught me in grade school. Another community taught me in high school. But the Dominicans to me were more prayerful and sacrificial and had it together. And if I was going to do this, I wanted to do it. I didn't want a man be pamby religious life. It had to be everything or forget it. Um, that's just the way I'm made. So I knew I wanted to be the Dominicans. The question was going to be, would they accept me after all the trouble I caused in, in uh, school? But thank God they did accept me. And um, yeah, so, and, and I've just always loved it. One thing I think I have more friendships than I could have ever had as a married person when I would have had to guard my heart in a different way. Now, as a spiritual mother, I can give it to everybody. And I'm not sitting there wor worrying about it all the time because this habit proclaims, I'm, I love you as, as Mary would love you. And that's what's important to me. Well, that's a beautiful story, sister. And uh, I just have a few quick Marian questions, kind of. Uh, these are questions I, I used to ask most of the guests, but kind of got out of the habit. But uh, I think that you'll have some great answers to these. So um, <laughs> as a Dominican, of course, you pray St. Dominic, receive the rosary, your promoters yes. of the rosary, you have the rosary probably on your habits. So yes. uh, is there a tip that you can offer to people to help them pray the rosary better if they struggle with it? That's beautiful, Father. Thank you so much. I think the first thing that I would say is remember the rosary is a very incarnational prayer. We don't just kind of sit there and think. 
we actually have beads in our hands and that's very important to keep us connected and they form a circle. And so when the Blessed Mother gave this rosary to St. Dominic as the, a very strong tradition of the church does say, it was when he asked her, how can I bring more souls to you? And she appeared holding Christ and holding the rosary. And she said one simple line as she gave him what would become the rosary. Obviously, it wasn't totally put together in the 20 mysteries we have today. However, she said this one line, with this weapon, you will conquer. And so I think in this day and age where we are fighting the enemy, we need to be smarter than he is. And what does that really mean? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? By becoming more and more close to Mary, spouse of the Holy Spirit. Even having the rosary with you is, is a tremendous grace. Um, the fact that we carry the rosary, that's probably, Father, one of the main reasons I knew I wanted to be a Dominican. I wanted that big rosary. <laughs> and I wanted it on me, and I wanted other people to see it. And when it gets caught, I'll say a Hail Mary for a poor soul who needs it. And believe me, we get these rosaries caught because I move pretty fast, as you might be able to kind of guess. And they'll get caught, and maybe the bees will break, and I'm praying my Hail Marys while I'm putting my rosary back together. Um, we have to realize that the ministries of the rosary are like a, a mini Bible or, or New Testament and sometimes I'll pick up my Bible and I'll think that, you know, I'm just in the mood for something simpler than than all this and trying to kind of really meditate on this at the moment. It's been a hard day and I'm exhausted. I can't really meditate much. Then there, I grab my rosary and I'm like, OK, which mystery do I feel more is where I am right now? And so I pray that mystery and you get that calm and you get that insight into right now. God is so present to you though you're exhausted or you're confused or you're worried or you're whatever it may be, or the joyful mysteries. You don't love all the joyful mysteries. It's the sorrowful that are the challenging, and yet we'll never get what we want, which is heaven, if we don't go through the sorrowful to the glorious. So it's kind of like a mini life that we carry at our sides, that we carry in, in every rosary that we ever pick up and touch. Every apparition of Mary, I think just about every one, She's praying the rosary and she's trying to say, if you really want to get closer to my son, this is the way to do it. And she prays with Bernadette at Lourdes as much of the, the Hail Mary as she can until she can't pray the rest of it, because obviously it's about herself. Mm. So she's praying to God, but she, but she is requesting prayers for the universal church on the rosary. I, it's so calming. It's the most calming prayer. What's your favorite Marian apparition? You know, Father, that is a very hard question because no. I just absolutely love every single Marian apparition. Um, I have to say I'm a Fatima girl by, um, by my parents' upbringing. My father being Polish, he loved Our Lady of Fatima. We had Fatima. In fact, I'm looking right now at the statue that belonged to him that his mom gave him when he left home many, many years ago to get his college degree, et cetera. Um, and so I have that statue now. And um, to me, Fatima was past, present, and future. And I like the, the fact that it eclipses time, or it unites time all in like one moment, because she certainly talked about the past. She certainly knew what was going on in the, pre the present, and she predicted the future. And the future, not just where we are in 2021, but the future ongoing. And I think more and more those children um, teach me as an adult how to trust God. 
when they're seven, nine, and 10 years old. And they're the youngest canonized non-martyr saints. You can't really beat that. That's where it is, at least in my book, that I need to become as simple as a child using my intellect and my gifts um, and taking them very seriously, but not taking myself too seriously, which is always the temptation. There are lots of different Marian shrines, and maybe as you've traveled around the country, you've been able to visit some of these shrines to different titles of Mary. Is there one that kind of made an impression on you, one that maybe holds a, a special place in your heart? Mary, mother of the Eucharist, pray for me. <laughs> yeah, okay. By far. Now, if I if I go beyond that, I have to say I've been blessed to visit, I would say, the vast majority of Marian shrines. Like if I'm going to go somewhere, my first question will be, is there a Marian shrine nearby that I can go to? Because I want to root myself in the mother because Christ is with her and he will never say no to the mother. So if we're big buddies, I've got my yes from Christ for sure and anything that I might need. And so it's a very incarnational relationship without the sensual knowledge of the body. I don't see her. I don't hear her. I don't feel her, etc. But it's very incarnational. She's very present. She's not a statue. She laughs. She gets upset. She worries. She everything. But she submits, submits, submits. Um, she's kind of a mas master, if you want to say, of surrender. Um, making it so possible that that's all I really want to do. And so even if it's difficult, I wouldn't change it for anything because in the end, I'm going to get what I want, which is to become more Christ-like, the graces of God. So in each Marian shrine, she highlights something different, but she's always mother. And that's the aspect of her that I love the most. And lastly, you talked about doing a lot of spiritual reading in your day as a religious sister. So surely there have been lots of books about Mary that you've devoured. Is there one that stands out that you'd recommend to others? Oh, that's beautiful, Father. You know, I like certain authors because of the way they put things together. So I would say, obviously, Don Calloway, and he has many, um, even on the Rosary, which I think would be, um, and I don't want to say an easy read, but it, but a, a doable read that would bring people into the decades of the Rosary much more easily. So I would certainly mention him. Um uh, I could say certainly St. Louis de Montfort, who was a third order Dominican, and we do make the total consecration to Mary every single day. We, um, we renew that consecration right before Holy Mass to Jesus through Mary. And so, but many people find that difficult, but there are other things out there now that have been kind of put into more um, language. And there, there are just so many beautiful things. And again, I would have to go back to St. John Paul the Great and say anything that he ever wrote about Mary or wrote about woman is Marian. And therefore, anything that he ever wrote just touches my heart very deeply about Mary because he was like a child before his mother. And she told us to us is the Marian consecration, his uh, motto. And he knew he knew how to live that into for that to take him into a deep mystical prayer, which would be great if God ever gives that to us. We can't do it ourselves. But John Paul, two hours would go by and he wouldn't even know a minute had. Now, that's very mystical prayer. And um What's so beautiful about that, that's got to be a deeper union than I certainly know at the present with the only one I really do want to know, Christ. Beautiful. We've been talking today with Sister Joseph Andrew from the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. Uh, 
wonderful religious community of sisters out there in Ann Arbor, but also throughout the United States, teaching in many different dioceses now. Uh, I encourage people, first of all, to support them by your prayers. Pray for their community. Pray for continued vocations. Uh, send them a donation if you'd like. Uh, oh, I know that yeah. I've gotten the letters in the mail. I've sent some some donations <laughs> you, in, Father. sister. And uh, actually, I'll tell you, maybe, I don't know if it was three months ago or six months ago, one of the sisters called me and they asked, do you have any prayer intentions? And so oh, that was very special, uh, oh, you know, to know that you're reaching out to benefactors in that way and uh, that you really do take seriously that call to prayer. You also have some CDs that people could acquire. Who wouldn't love to hear singing nuns and so the beautiful voices? And uh, where could they get those CDs? That could be another way they could support your community. Thank you, Father. You know, we have a lot on our website, which is GoLE for Lumen Ecclesia. GoLE Digital. So it's just G-O-L-E-D-I-G-I-T-A-L dot org. And on that is a shop where you can get our vocation books. We have the second one coming out in two weeks. The first one, and Mary's Yes Continues, has been out for like three years now. Um, we have all our CDs or DVDs. Um, we have a lot of podcasts. We have the sisters singing. And those hit the top of the charts and remain there for like 10 weeks. I mean, it's just God, people want God, you know, and when they can get him through the truth, the good, the beautiful, they want more. So, Father, um, I just really want to thank you for what you were doing for the church. And it's a privilege for me to be on this with you, honestly. Well, thank you. It's an honor to have you, Sister, for sure. And if people want to learn about your community, too, they can go to sistersofmary.org, and they can find a lot there and even uh, support you there. You're also on Twitter. That's how we connected, right? And That's right. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on you name it, Father. We're we're all over the creation. We try to be, yes. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being with me today, Sister Joseph Andrew, and to share about your religious community. I know for a lot of people, this is been a very enlightening conversation even for me it was and i thoroughly enjoyed it so thanks for being with me today thank you father god bless you too you have been listening to the podcast how they love mary a podcast that i hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your marian devotion if you don't mind please leave a review of how they love mary on apple podcasts share the podcast with your family or your friends it's available on apple podcasts on spotify on Stitcher, or wherever people find their podcasts. And if you don't mind, please give me a follow on social media at the handle at FR Edward Looney. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, let's remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless. Mm-hmm.